Welcome to yet another episode of Pickleball Briefs podcast. I'm uh, Robert. And I am Dave, Dave Feldman. Indeed you are. Indeed yeah. you are. One thing I wanted to talk about, you and I were chatting about this earlier, and I want to deep dive into this. I was listening to a few conversations on other channels and podcasts that were having conversations about how different brands were going to market um, in terms of their, the flow of their, their, uh, their distribution, if you will. This was kind of an addendum to what we talked about last week when we talked about, you know, the different distribution models. Yeah. And I forgot to mention this. I started to hear about it back then, but since then it's become even more clear to me. There's this emerging sort of uh, identifiable pattern of like using brand ambassadors. You could even say influencers with discount coupon codes for everything. And then of course, locally where we play, we have uh, folks that have become representatives for the different manufacturers, different paddle and equipment manufacturers. And, uh, you know, so it's almost like, I'm just going to say it, it's almost like uh, network marketing. And uh, the thing that caught my mind was, or caught my attention about it was I was listening to a podcast, a quote-unquote business podcast, where this guy was describing a new platform that they launched, and he was going in-depth into how they were distributing uh, incentives yeah. for people to actually promote it. And I just thought this is basically a JV, like a, uh, a joint venture or affiliate program on steroids. And of course they're using the word, you know, you have equity, which I think is, you know, overused these days, personal opinion. And you know, you're relying on a lot of people's enthusiasm to get out and to represent your brand appropriately, which uh, having trained and worked with hundreds, if not thousands of sales reps is very difficult to do. If somebody doesn't have it on the brain that they are super passionate about your brand and are going to actually take it to the market in a very specific way, like a thoughtful, strategic way, then it's just a mess. It's a mess. It's hard to control. It's hard to control your branding. It's hard to control the quality of your branding. Coming like my background is like personal branding, branding for companies, marketing for companies. And when you start putting your brand in the hands of some random rep or some random person, they can actually really screw it up if they're not careful. Like they can give your rep, your brand a bad reputation. Like if they're not, if they're not, if they're talking to club owners and they're out there just kind of like pitching your products or your whatever it is, if it's paddles or if it's something else, software or something, and they're just kind of, they signed up, you you gave them like, hey, you're the, gave them some title, you're a rep for us and they're going to go out. But the the point is, is if they, if they screw it up and you're not really controlling that, then you're losing a lot of brand um, goodwill. 
You know, like a lot of good, you're, you're really degrading the goodwill of your brand with the local business owners. If you're not careful about how you're controlling those people. And if you're just letting them go out willy nilly and some of them are really good. I mean, some of them knock it out. Well, 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 let's be honest. I mean, most people are signing up to get the discount, right? Most people are signing up so they can wear a badge. I've seen this happen locally. They can say, I represent so-and-so, right? And then I've had the very direct experience of, like, what I would consider a not as well-known, not as high-quality brand line with a really good rep that is very thoughtful and strategic about how he participates in different events and how he talks to people and how he organizes his uh, his approach to selling products. And he sells a lot, he moves a lot of product here in our local area. And I've had the uh, also a similar experience with like what you, a lot of people would consider a very high end brand or a higher end well known brand. And that ambassador is just, I mean, in my opinion, I wouldn't deal with him if I had to. I mean, he's, I'd rather go by direct or find somebody else to do it because of the way he approaches the, the, the task at hand, which is to represent the brand, expose people to the product, be able to speak to it technically and to allow people to try it. So, you know, I, I know it sounds good and it, you know, and I'm not really sure how this all started because, you know, it seems to be like a monkey see monkey do thing where a lot of, um, a lot of manufacturers are making the decision to use brand ambassadors to get their product out to the grassroots level. And I understand grassroots movements. Believe me, I've been involved in a few of them and they make a lot of sense when you have the right people doing it. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a cost. I mean, I guess it's a cost benefit to them. You have to weigh the cost versus the benefit. If you, you sign up a bunch of brand ambassadors, let them hit the streets and, you just know, well, half of these people are going to just screw it up. And, but, you know, maybe 10% of them are really going to knock it out of the park for us. And that's your, that, if that's your model and you know, it's a bunch of them are going to screw it up, then, but you just, I guess the point we're making, or at least that I'm making is you have to weigh the cost of that. Like, okay, you know that 90% of them are going to screw it up, but what kind of cost is that to your to your brand? Like to the example that you just spoke about where there's a brand ambassador for a significant brand that's dropping the ball and making people not not want to purchase those products, at least from him. And so it's it's hurting your brand. So there's this fine balance of like, you know, what's well, the, the, cost the other, other side of this conversation, which was interesting, I had between now and last week was that, you know, and you and I were on a call the other day with a really great, well, really interesting, compelling uh, franchise group that's kind of got a different model, but is that, you know, there really hasn't been the distribution points, the formal distribution points. And then as they came on, as, as the actual private member clubs came on the scene and are continuing to come on the scene, those are going to be more natural distribution nodes for products and services because even the even the guys that we're talking about they're going to probably go there trying and try and sell their wares. They're going to probably try and go there because they know all the players will be going there and they're going to want to network and try and meet people and sell their wares. Well, guess what? Those locations will have products and services that they're selling as well, and they'll have arrangements with those manufacturers and those service providers. 
Yeah. And so that will redistribute how how these products are sold. I talked to a guy who runs a club yesterday and he said he can't he still has trouble getting in touch directly with the manufacturers and getting any sort of really beneficial relationship set up. So he does stuff like when he's in a pinch, he buys from, I'm not going to mention it, but he buys from a popular online retailer and then he just eats the margin. And I was like, that's no way to run a business. I mean, that's convenient and it's, it's delivering the product and the service and a customer experience. So you keep that person in your, in your, on your customer list and coming back. But that being said, you know, and then I've also heard from other individuals who run, you know, some thought leadership, thought leadership groups that some of the manufacturers, you know, are moving in and trying to get exclusivity on facilities and push out other providers, which, you know, variety is going to be the key to everything, you know, a relative uh, variety, meaning, you know, if you have two or three different brand lines or the option or the flexibility to be able to sell other products that people want and can get. So, yeah. So it's going to be interesting for sure. And I think distribution is going to change. So. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to, going back to what you were saying about that, that club owner that's going direct to a website because he has to do a workaround because the direct, the direct, link to manufacturers is obviously broken. So that's a, to me, that's like a wake well, I don't up. know if it's broken. I just don't think it's established yet. That That's, the, I think, the maturation process of an industry, right? Like, it's so early innings. Like, there's no, like, what we're talking about last week with, you know, two-step distribution or three-step distribution or whatever it ends up being, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be really hybridized. That's that's the sign of of, you know, a, a maturing industry that that those relationships are established, those channels are established. They, you and I talked about this earlier. There was a guy I talked to yesterday on the West Coast who has a really cool product, and they they crowdfunded it, and they they raised more than enough money, and then they had it all made, and now they're waiting for shipment to come over. And, and I, anyways, I was talking to him about, you know, do you sell through retail? And he's like. Nah, man, I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. But guess what? If you were at, I can tell you from looking here, like there's all the big box retailers in town here. They don't have pick ball shoes. Um, yeah. Oh, did I just say the product line? I'm sorry. Anyways, they don't have that product. Yeah. And so, but if you had it on site, that'd be a no brainer. You'd sell those all day like hotcakes. Yeah. It's going to come down to who can master distribution, right? In the early innings of this, the people that can master distribution from from a retail manufacturing side, those are going to be the the winners, right? That's how it's going to be. Like if you can if you can figure that out, solve that puzzle immediately, you're 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 golden. Well, good news on that is uh, we're going to be able to help foster that um, little self promotion here. We have been working feverishly on getting our newsletter out the door and then simultaneously, you know, we're building a very robust industry database. So if people aren't sure where to go or how to connect up, they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to use our tool to actually find out, you know, who the manufacturers are, who the distributors are, what the franchise models are. You know, they're going to be able to get a lot of good information in that database simultaneously while you and your team write about, 
the different aspects of how the industry's you know moving along. So, all right, that's my self promotion. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be super valuable. Having a having a consolidated database like that would be very valuable to a lot of people. Yep. All right, let's pivot here a little bit. I wanted to just talk about the international and the brain thing. So let me just make a blanket statement in the beginning. I mean, not a lot of people know me, but if you did, you know, I'm very pro-international, like most people in my life (laughs) are from other places. Uh, And that being said, you know, I'm starting to see this theme creep in everywhere, and particularly this just recently, the volume getting turned up on uh, internationalization within pickleball. And so, okay, cool. Uh, not a, not a bad uh, idea, long-term strategy, having a, you know, a game plan for that. You and I hopped on a call a few weeks back and actually talked to some folks in England and really enjoyed that conversation about what they're doing over there. And yeah. So yeah, I agree. I, there's a lot of camaraderie internationally and it's definitely, uh, pickleball is an international universal language. Um, I think almost. That being said, just observing, it's like, you know, you, you got a crawl, walk, run. And in the early innings, well, you speak to your idea about this, but, you know, maybe it is a land grab. And I also have, you know, some concerns about that. Just in general, you know, if you try to, um, if you try to, you know, what's a good analogy? If you try to uh, do something before it's time, before it's had its foundation set, the whole thing falls apart. So, and we are in chaotic times, and I think this year will be a good year for making progress and establishing more of a foundation for the industry itself, for the business side. But this rush to internationalization is uh, it's a little bit weird. I think it's a little bit odd. I mean, we just we can't even. So far, we're having a lot of trouble with our domestic, <laughs> our national leagues and affiliations and associations, and then everybody's ready to, already starting to look at international. I think we kind of need to get our our own house in order first. So with that, I'll I'll be quiet and let you comment on that. But that was something I thought would be interesting to talk about. Yeah, I think it's a very valid question to to consider. Like I, I can see, I can see the thought process behind it. I can see the thought process of it's a land grab. Get as much as you can while you can. Get your brand out there to like get first mover advantage, as, you know, as fast as you can, and try to then build it up. Build it up. Like once you once you grab the land, then build it up. Versus the other strategy or the other thought of. You know, hey, before before we expand, we should make sure that we have our I's dotted and our T's crossed, that our house is in order before we start expanding out because we don't want to fall flat on our face. Those are two very, you know, opposite <laughs> ways of thinking and doing business. Which one is right in this industry right now in pickleball? I think you're valid to be concerned. I think there's going to be a lot of people that try to land grab and end up falling flat because they just don't have their ducks in a row before they try to grab too much. And you're seeing this, you're, I mean, you saw this in the, uh, the M and the PPA with, with players, they were doing the, they were basically doing a land grab with 
professionals and then they got caught with their pants down and then they had to go back and give everybody, you know, bad news. Like, hey, here's pay cuts. So that's an example right there of people trying to do it like on a personal level more than like international, but it's the same concept. Yeah, that's a good example. I mean, I think, you know, some of the conversations I heard just after that was that the merger between the MLP and the PPA had to happen because of due to they were, you know, cost sharing profitability concerns, like the actual business model, right? Well, if the business model doesn't work, then the business model doesn't work. And I think you need to slow down and look at your business model and you need to understand what changes you could make to make it work. Like what could you actually do to improve and fortify your existing stuff before you start going with all this international internationalist type stuff. And so same, you know, it's, 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 you know, (laughs) a wider versus, you know, a deeper dive, right? Do I go deeper into crafting what I'm building or do I go wider and try to be everything to everybody? You know, until you have a model that works, you have nothing to scale. There's nothing to scale. There's just, uh, you know, a bad situation that's going to get worse. So, yeah, that's the thing is people have to realize if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to go international and really push the borders that way, push, push out your, you know, push out your business internationally. And then, and the idea is probably, hey, let's just try and grab land and then build it as, you know, build the plane as we're falling. Some cases that might work, but. There's whole other sets of problems with internationalization. I mean, it's a whole other beast. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, you know. It's just very different. You have a whole other set of considerations from, you know, a legal standpoint, from a tax standpoint, from a personnel and cultural standpoint. It's like, you know, wh- how things work in Europe in terms of the way things operate is very different than the way they work here. It's very different than the way they work in, you know, Asia and even China, uh, which is, you know, very, you, you can't even do business with China right now. Yeah. I you mean, know, it's a, I just want to put a bookmark out there that like, you know, we're, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm I'm looking at it wondering from a business, like an entrepreneurial business, I love the game of business standpoint. Not sure that's the best move, you know. And some people are doing it, too, because I'll be honest, other people have other motivations, too. Like, there's a lot of money flowing from out of the country into the United States right now. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Whether, like, we sit here and discuss, like, is it the right move to go international but it's hard. I think what it comes down to is it's hard for people to say no to money. Like people, I, I was talking to a, a, a guy on the phone just in a meeting the other day, a pretty big brand that everybody would know. And then he said, he's saying like, when we go to, when we go to these events, I have international people coming up to me all the time. Like, Hey, how can we get this in? How can we get this where I'm from down in Australia? How can we get this here? Like in Europe, how can we get this? So they're getting, they're, they're feeling the demand from international. And even though maybe it's not the right time, maybe it's too early, maybe it's like, maybe they don't have their, their, you know, business in order, even in the U.S. It's like, it's just tempting. If, if somebody says, Hey, I want to pay you and like, let's take it to Australia. It's tempting to say no to that. And I think that's maybe 
something that's happening. Like nobody wants to say no to money. So there's just it'll be fun. It'll be fun to look back in three years on this conversation and to see what exactly has transpired. And hey, I'll be the first to admit if I'm wrong. Like if actually you know organizations and brands are able to nail that out of the gate, then obviously I'm a relic and I don't understand what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I mean, it's something I think for each company to your point, they should actually, they should just think about it at least and consider the, you know, the pros and the cons before they just jump and say, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll go, we'll go international. Like, why wouldn't we? Okay, well, there might be a couple reasons why not to right now. So, I don't know, just something to think about. Like you're saying, bring it up, think about it before, whether it's right or wrong. And it could be right or wrong for various brands and companies, for you know, case by case. Yep. Well, it's a human tendency to outward uh, reflect as opposed to, you know, take care of our own business. So, all right. So, the last thing I just want to talk about, because we both, have a very busy day and we want to move forward and we enjoy these conversations and we want to share our progress and stuff is uh newsletter. You want to talk about the newsletter launch date and then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, we got listed on some of the podcast directories and then also I'll re-mention a little bit about the directory, but do you want to talk about the newsletter? Yeah. Newsletter. We're still on track for January 15th. Go live. We're going to drop our first monthly briefing on January 15th. Um, we are working behind the scenes feverishly, trying to just nail down everything and make sure that it's right. We have, we have the content, we have, we have the vision. Uh, it's just, it's just making sure everything is lined up. You know, I think we've mentioned multiple times that delivering a newsletter seems like it would be an easy thing and it, it, it is, but there's just a lot of, minute details that we want to make sure are right. So, but yeah, we're still on track January 15th. So if you're, if you're out there eagerly awaiting pickleball brief issue, number one should be in your inbox within about 10 days. Sweet. And then, uh, like I mentioned, uh, we, so the podcast has been, we have, we're on a platform, like a hosting platform and I've been, Working to get the podcast onto Apple and then onto Google now and then next will be Spotify. So you can still go to our main link, which is our main, uh, hosting platform and that'll be in the show notes down below. And you can pick your favorite listening platform and just subscribe there or you can subscribe on our platform, however you want to do it. And of course we're sharing, sharing it in social so you can see it that way. But just wanted to let everybody know we are expanding our ability to distribute the podcast and get it out there. And then the last thing I'll just mention real quick and then we'll wrap up is we've been working to build out what we think is the first industry it doesn't matter what it is, if it's the first or, or, you know, whatever. It's, it's definitely something that people are going to really value. And it's a very robust searchable database of products, services, and industry resources. And it'll include everything from manufacturers to like service providers, like let's say, you know, construction companies or court service, um, installation companies or, 
And then in the uh, resources section, things like magazines, you know, other publishers and or associations that, you know, we all need to track on. So it'll be very complete. And then the opportunity there is for our customers to expand their, their footprint there and actually set up like micro websites and be found. It'll be part of a premium subscription. We're still deciding, you know, you may make it available as part of the free stuff too. It's just the, the access to some of the information may be a little bit different. We're, we're working that out, but we're building the database. It's coming along very nicely. Um, we'll do a full launch and walkthrough when, when it's ready to go. And um, it's another opportunity. It's another opportunity to connect dots and have people be able to find what they're looking for and maybe short circuit some of these uh, longer learning patterns and provide value. So, yeah. I mean, the whole idea behind Pickleball Brief is to provide value. And the directory is just another avenue, another resource that we can provide. And it'll be just like everything we do, the newsletter, the directory. It'll be comprehensive high quality, just valuable information. Absolutely. All right. Hey, find the podcast on your favorite directory, subscribe and like it or leave a review. We we need to say that. Uh, So if you are finding it on, you know, Apple or Google or Spotify or somewhere like that, if you would subscribe and if you have, you know, some feedback or you'd like to leave a positive review, we'd appreciate that. That's how these things grow. And we appreciate your time and attention. Anything else you want to say, David? I think I'm good for today. Well, I'm ready to wrap it up. Excellent. Well, thank you again, and we'll talk again real soon.